This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations of people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin. And I am joined today by Anna Parker. Kia ora, Anna. Oh, kia ora, um, Sam. It's lovely to join with you in this conversation today. And I'm connecting in from Okoho in Dunedin. How was bubble life in Okoho? Um, well, we have a really interesting situation in our whare, um in our home we have an intergenerational family and so our bubble um our bubble started a bit earlier than everyone in ours we have um elderly grandparents who live with us and they have lots of different health concerns so um and my partner is a um gp and so he was out there in the community potentially um coming into contact with lots of um, people and it was all about unknown in the COVID, you know, how much COVID was in our community at that point. So we actually started in our bubble a bit earlier than most people about, I think we went about four or five days before the rest of the country had to. Um, we pulled the kids out of school um, because we were really concerned that um, that with three kids and um and what they might be bringing home, and what and the risk that they might um, that that might pose to their grandparents. So you know, it was it was definitely a nervous time, um, but also it felt good to be making decisions that were about the well-being and health of our family, and actually having the the information we needed uh, to be able to make those decisions. So yeah, so our bubble in Wapahoe started a bit early. But it also um, meant that there was, um, yeah, we had a wee bit of a practice, a bit of a head start on how it was all going to work. And how did it work, having that head start? Did it make it easier? Um, I think it made it um, easier in some respects uh, because um, once the rest of the country caught up with our decision-making, <laughs> um, it was sort of validation that we were doing the right thing because you know it's always we're not overreactors, but sometimes you wonder if you if you're going too far, uh, too hard, too fast. But um, it, that that process, yeah, it did it did work for us, um, and and it was also very much about um, we also had to really ch change the way we lived in our house. Um, like we had to keep my the our the elderly grandparents um, a lot safer than we would normally, so we actually had to sort of keep the kids separate from them. Um, and so basically, 
it was um, you know, hard days there when we had to explain things like around having less contact um, that made it um, that nobody really understood fully at that point while we were having those conversations. But um, but and I think that's the um, strength of being having lived as an intergenerational family for a while. You get really good at having those conversations about how how to make this way of living work. So, yeah. And more adults at home to help with the home homeschooling. Yeah, it's in one way. <laughs> well, my partner was not home much, I have to say, um, in those early days. He was really busy out in the um, in the community doing um, COVID swabs. Um, but um, yes, there was um, some interesting interesting transition times. We we had probably had the best experience of lockdown prior to home learning becoming um, more necessary. So those few weeks where there was school holidays sort of scheduled that was um we had a lot of fun during that time and then probably put a little bit too much pressure on ourselves to um integrate some more formal learning um as time went on but what we we're really lucky we live in an incredibly beautiful part of um Otipote, Dunedin and we've got a galley of um, native bush down on one side of our house. We've got Signal Hill and all the reserves above us. Over to one side, we've got um, the botanic gardens and all of what it has to offer um, and all the mountain bike tracks on Signal Hill as well. So we had so much fun doing massive walks um, big circuits through the bush up the mountain bike tracks it was great that they didn't have any mountain bikes on them you know so we we had a lot of fun and the kids and I invented we imagined ourselves a dog we had an imaginary dog that we took walking um every day and I think I I think my son added up the number of um, k's we walked over lockdown, and this is just all circuits in our own neighbourhood. I think it was something like three hundred and sixty kilometres over um, those, yeah, over those few weeks. So I think it was quite an impressive um, effort to <laughs> to do to do circuits in your own neighbourhood. So yeah, with and your was, imaginary dog, it was quite exciting just spending that time in. In your own neighbourhood, in your own community space, noticing things that you people hadn't noticed before. Yeah, we absolutely loved that, um, and it did. It brought us like um, it brought us really local, and where we, as a family, we love travelling and going on adventures, and we're often seeking to get out of town, um, but yeah, to actually just be completely local and to be here um was yeah a lot of a lot of joy actually and and you know discovered little nooks and crannies of our neighborhood that we'd walked past you know uh for years and yeah and have actually discovered those now and they're much more a part of um our understanding of our locality let's take the first of your music choices let's have a trinity roots homeland and sea why this one uh, well, we made the kids listen to so much of our old school music um, during lockdown. There was a lot of complaints, but every now and then um, 
mum and dad won out and they had to listen to some of our favourites. And this is a real coming of age um, track for me. So love a bit of Trinity Roots and particularly this track.
Anna, were you working from home as well as time of the kids? I was. I was. I was. What I do you was. do? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I wound up, um, uh, I was teaching online um, for OP um, during the first part of lockdown and wound that up um, during that time. Um, and I um, I run a consultancy called Matawai. So I had a number of um, I had a number of events planned around the South Island for um, that were scheduled during um, April that year. Uh, well, that was just last year. Uh, so there was a lot of like. Um, cancelling, reconfiguring of all sorts of things around different hui that I had on the go. Um, but what was what was really valuable um, about lockdown in terms of work was that we as a team were doing had moved a lot of our meetings and um, conversations online. Uh, I used to really hate Zoom. Um, as someone who does a lot of facilitation, group facilitation, I'd always really resisted Zoom and online um, connections because um, for me there was nothing like face-to-face -face people in the room. And I still agree, there's nothing like face-to-face -face having people in the room as a facilitator in terms of the vibes you get and the way that you can work with people. But um, I have to say, thanks to lockdown, I think I've mastered the art of a Zoom facilitation or online platform facilitation. And, and it took me a while, but I think I know now how to actually hold a good meeting online in terms of taking care of a lot of the aspects of um, what it means to bring people together. So that was a, that was a bonus. Um, but the, the other real bonus is that because our everything that in front of us was suddenly on hold or um, had pause pushed on it um, or was being in a different way, um, it meant that there was a wee bit more time for some creative thinking and to actually get into um, some bigger picture um, systemic I suppose um, framing questions that we hadn't really had a chance as a team to to um, investigate earlier because we're always too busy um, and so what we did during lockdown was we actually engaged with the community sector across Dunedin about what what they were experiencing and what the challenges were and the major themes that came out from our community sector was really around funding and and community organizations experiences of funding models and what wasn't working for them and what funding models that we have out there what they weren't doing um, in terms of actually investing in systemic change investing in equity and we just weren't um, yeah and that's what we had these old models were not going to bring about the change that we really wanted to see in our communities. So um, so we pulled together all that community voice. This report called Funding for Change in Aotearoa um, has been all about bringing together community voice about and speaking to funders and just really, I suppose, um, 
sort of changing the power dynamic a lot because you know we have such a charity model out there where um, community groups and organizations go with their hands out um, and compete in t contestable funding and that model is really not going to bring about the change we want in the world um, and we really have to rethink if we want to see um, equity if we want to see um, systemic change we're going to really have to think about um, how we don't do the same things again. So we've used that community voice and that report since lockdown um, to start um, good but challenging conversations in lots of different spheres um, about what sorts of innovative models we can actually bring forward and actually bring about some change for um, yes, the Aotearoa Dunedin community, but it's wider than that as well, because we all have to start thinking differently about the world we want to invest in. So my next question was going to be about new ways of working prompted by the pandemic and the pandemic response and the recovery. But I think you've just given to me at least three uh, really good <laughs> examples. So there's the the online that, that lots of people are talking about, and, and I think you've got a particular take on that because you're describing it as community facilitation, not not just meetings. Because I think people have gotten no. their heads around meetings online, particularly if you fall back into a traditional point of order, Mr. Speaker, kind of model. Mm -hmm. it's, but, but if it's a more, much more engaging and creative thing, it, it's much harder to use sticky notes. It's harder to pass around the talking stick. Have you, have you figured out how to do it? it? Yeah. So some of it's getting a little bit braver and being and having to, in a Zoom space, um, still offer warmth and participation and a sense of there being open uh, process and democracy, but also needing to be a bit of directive, but more directive. And so actually um, naming people when it's their turn to speak rather than... Um, sort of waiting in this weird, awkward Zoom <laughs> space of silence. So um, so some of it's just about being a wee bit more directive, but in a generous um, way. Um, and and then the other side of it, I think, is actually being quite experimental and stuff. Um, and when and and actually just being open to the idea that it might not work <laughs> or that it might and we might learn something. Um, so, yeah, just trying different platforms, bringing together different platforms, like I've done a few things, um, like with Mirror or um, different, you know, different online platforms that just allow a different form of interacting or the use of sticky notes, but, you know, just getting, but also not overcomplicating it and, um, and sometimes just yeah, keeping things simple is also valuable. So I suppose it's reading the audience um, and what the purpose of a meeting is and being of a meeting point, as, as I would say, rather than a meeting. Um, and that, yeah, with a sense of purpose, then people can still find that um, the connection that they're needing. Okay, the second thing that I heard in there talking about the new ways of working was finding that time for that that bigger picture the systemic framing the creative thinking and it mm. occurs to me it's a shame that we get ourselves so busy that we don't have time for that stuff when we because whenever we do it it turns out to be really important yeah exactly yeah 
and I think, and I have to say that's probably a wee bit of one of my disappointments about this year is that we've just got back on and have been pushing out work really quickly and hard and haven't had that same time for the pause for the rethink um, and for the and for the big picture. Hey, let's do this differently. So yeah, um, and so but but still have enough awareness to see that happening. <laughs> you know, still remember, uh, still remember the heyday of lockdown and as stressful as some aspects of it was the freedom to actually uh, think and do differently was um, yeah really valued and then the third aspect I'm not counting community voice as as one of those things because I think that's something that you were doing already but the the funding models that that this has brought to the surface because one of the things that the pandemic has done is that government did re release the purse strings quite a bit yeah and it seems to have worked in terms of the things are still getting done things are still you know the the fear was that that's just going to lead to some sort mm -hmm. of unaccountable mess but we're not hearing that yeah no, it's interesting, isn't it? Because some of the ways that much of that money's been delivered and still is within contestable funds that can, um, have community groups and organisations competing against each other. Um, however, um, it hasn't all been that way. And I I suppose I um, I always come back to the to that big picture around what is the purpose of what we're doing and how we're doing and how we're doing it is it actually enabling the change we want in the world and and I still think that we're locked into so much charitable um, thinking around how we um, do to others rather than thinking about the the ways that we might empower and bring about um, self-determining communities. And I think we had a taste of what self-determining communities could look like during lockdown in lots of different ways as it was really those people with relationships and connections on the ground who were really able to enable meaningful connection and support. Um, and that people stuck in yeah in agencies um, without those relationships didn't necessarily have the um, the ways of enabling support um, if they you know weren't yeah it was the grassroots of the communities that really did come together and I think hold us together um, at that time so I really do think we still have to think a lot about how we uh, change these systems that then allow um true community self-determination and um yeah but they're you know but it's one step at a time and it's one conversation at a time so um there's and i think as long as we don't lose that big picture and keep accepting the status quo um you know small change but it's still meaningful change bonnie robinson who is one of my doctorate learners observed during the lockdown or just after it that it was a time for the importance of values-based leadership and values-based decision making because everything got mm. cut down to you had to be able to react straight away and for things for which there weren't existing rules so you had to very quickly work from those value sets 
Yeah. But also that this isn't or wasn't a time for learning what values-based leadership meant. And it sounds to me mm. that you've got a very similar argument there with the the importance of those connections to the communities, that it really was a time where those connections to the communities mattered, especially when you couldn't actually organise a, a community meeting in the traditional yeah. sense. Um, it really mattered, but we couldn't do it. So it was... Mm. It showed the importance of already having those connections. Yeah. And I would say the same about values-based um, leadership too. Like I think it's um, what I noticed. It was those gr community groups um, and those community leaders who already had had those conversations collectively about their values and their shared values um, and who were aware. And often it was the Māori and Pacifica leadership in that space where values are very much imbued and what how they work as communities they were the ones that were able to be the most responsive at those times because um yeah that values-based um way of working um was 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 immediately present and um yes yeah, so i would agree with your doctoral student there around um yeah seeing the effectiveness of understanding a values-based mm. approach Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, kata wahau. I hope you're all having the best day of beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope, wherever you are, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more each day who you are, the triumph of nature's perfect and here. Thank you. So as we all know, we've been through such an intense and challenging time together. So many new skills have had to come to the fore for us. And we've had to really rethink so many aspects of how we live our lives, co-evolve with all life in an infinite, how we can consciously engage in this co-evolution in a more beneficial and symbiotic manner, making that movement the Anthropocene to the Symbiocene, where we are creating functional, co-beneficial relationships with the life forms. I'm so lucky, of course, to spend my working life at Orokanui Eco Sanctuary, my heart's home. And it really is a very beautiful, safe place for our native plants and animals. And it's alive and it's growing and changing with time. And of course, now as we head into winter, there are so many exciting aspects that are coming into being. I was very lucky yesterday that I was able to host a therapeutic group up at Orokanui and I love this work. I feel of course that all are engaged with the living world of therapeutic but particularly directed to therapeutic work is wonderful to be able to engage in. And hearing about the unique ways that the lovely young people connect with the living world was really inspiring and I love that for all of us we make that connect differently and I think that's really important that our our unique nature, connected to and supported by unique aspects of the living world, beautiful mirrors for us. And in the group yesterday, we had such different responses to the living world. One, one young lady who was really tuned in with all the fungi and lichen, these tiny, tiny life forms, all these treasures lining the banks of the paths. One young man who's really tuned in with the song of the different birds and was able to really connect with the kaka and call them down. It's just wonderful to, to have that time with them. One girl who really connected with Waimaria the eel and 
knew that she would be at the pond and was able to, to feed her. And it's lovely to see those relationships unfolding. So for me, I feel we don't need more than that. If, if we know that that connection is there for us, it's so sustaining. One of my favorite life forms that's coming forward at the moment is the Hakika or wood ear bracket fungus. And it's a wonderful symbiotic fungus that, that works with Karnaka. So it's, it's underground most of the year has a mycorrhizal relationship with the Karnaka's root system, so we know about the, the fungus internet connecting all the plants and trees and they're all talking to each other and sharing resources with each other and caring for each other and it's this huge network underground. And then at this time of year when the, the fungi want to make babies, then they're emerging from that network and we actually see them above ground. So Hakika is very interesting, it grows up through the, the trunk of the Karnaka and it emerges out in these very strong brackets. And when we feel it, we can play, you know, knock, knock, who's there? Mr. and Mrs. Wood ear, because it's very solid. And the Karnaka has, has synthesized the, the wood to create its own form along with fungi. It's a wonderful structure. And the spores of the wood ear are inside this very tough exterior. And they develop and then it will fall to the ground to disperse them. And for Māori, these wood ear were used to carry embers from the fire as they'd move from place to place and could restart fires quite easily and the reason they could do this of course is because it's not wood it couldn't burn it's fungi and wood it's the product of this beautiful symbiosis that, that makes it so strong so i love this image for us as we we move forward that we can carry the embers we can keep our fires going we can sustain our lives thanks to this harmonious, supportive relationship. And I really hope that for you, you're finding ways to experience that support and give that support. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. You too. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Anna Parker. And we've seen lots of changes in society over the last year. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? Um, what I hope will stick, Will, is um, the importance of community, like or the importance of um, the community leadership that came out to shine um, through lockdown and actually was valued um, and respected by um, people in positions of power um, within institutions because of their adaptability and ability and flexibility that community leadership could show. I really want to see that value, um, the way that that was valued because it was necessary. Uh, I really want to see that um, stay in the consciousness of our of our institutions. And um, and yeah, so I don't want um, things to revert uh, to you know where power like power had to be shared um, th through that time. Power of decision-making um, needed to be shared and I would really like to see that as um, something that is, I see, I, I'm being hesitant because I already see it being eroded away, <laughs> that um, shared decision-making, but yeah, but I would really like to see that continue to flourish in communities to be active um, and respective members at the table. You talked about a pause and a reset and a rethink. 
Uh, but you also just said that yeah. Sen said another R word, which was revert. So let's dismiss that one. Um, but what do you yeah. see the probably an R word? What what do you see as the the opportunity for what we're doing now in terms of recovery or regeneration or, or reset? What are you hoping is going to happen? Um. Well, I I really, really hope that we are able to address um, all of the big issues that we face collectively as humanity in terms of that will acknowledge Papatuanuku, that will acknowledge um, diversity and the need for equity in, in our communities, um, that will look at uh, resource distribution, like there's, there's so much potential there to rethink how we live. Um, and I am still, I have to be one of those people that remains hopeful that um, the seeds of those conversations, I think as much as there is um, desire to return to business as usual, that the seeds of what is possible um, and what was possible in a really short um, space of time suddenly systems that had spent decades entrenched in one way of thinking actually literally changed overnight and so we can actually do this I think we've actually now know if there's political um, and collective will we can actually do it and I don't want us to lose that hope that um, that we can rethink the way that we live it's going to make it pretty hard for people to say that we can't do things when as you say, we can point to the fact yeah. that we know we can. We did it. We actually did it. Yeah. Hmm. So what lessons do you think we can take for those bigger things, the sorts of things that we um, can't solve by staying at home for a few weeks, things like climate change? <laughs> beyond mm. that, beyond that, we can do but, it. And perhaps the direct impact mm. of us not moving around so much are there things yeah. that, that we can learn for those bigger questions? Well, I think, you know, like how much did we enjoy? Like there was two things that I really noticed in my neighbourhood with no cars on the street. One was that, you know, we there were so many more birds in our garden and we could hear them sing, yeah? And the other was that the kids reclaimed the streets and the streets in our neighbourhood are much, you know, warrant themselves much more to basketball and bike riding than they do to, you know, uh, cars moving around. So I suppose it's those simple, like we can do it differently and so we should be um, and we've had a taste of that. So it's about continually continuing to keep those conversations alive at a grassroots level about the sorts of communities we actually want to live in and then using all those points where we can leverage for change um, to keep those conversations alive. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have from the Avatar State soundtrack, The Legend of Korra. Why this one? <laughs> well, I have to say um, one of the great things, so in our family, we never had a TV before lockdown. We were one of those people who like lined up and bought a TV like the day before lockdown started. Um, and so, and it actually brought our lives um, quite a lot of enjoyment. We watched a series 
called the Avatar and then one called um, Cora or the Legend of Cora. And this, so like we watch this with our kids and um, and these series are really all about courage and relationships and finding personal and collective power. And I think, and so for us, they were a great series to watch. And so um, this particular track comes from Cora where she is experiencing the Avatar state, so. Anna, I have some questions to end the show with. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Yeah, so I think for me, success is always a collective success. And um, back at last year, we held a hui called Funding for Change in Aotearoa as a way of launching this report. And the hui was really about disrupting power relationships, but in a in a gentle, respectful, let's build relationships um, kind of way. So the Hui prioritised community voices um, and people got to tell their real stories, um, grassroots people telling artists, um, community development workers, you know, people from the from the ground up got to talk about the challenges they face around the funding models that exist currently. And in doing so, we invited funders to our table. So we invited funding agencies from across the city to come and sit with us and share a meal. So they listened to community stories and then we fed them. We fed everybody. So we shared manaakitanga, we shared um, hospitality with everyone. 
and encouraged relationships. On one level, it was disrupting the usual power relationship, but at another, it was beginning a different type of relationship. And I think that's what we really want to see. So that for us felt like a real success last year because it was an event that had impact and an event that's continued to change the way um, relationships happen. So, and how conversations happen. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. Yeah. So you are in that team. What is the superpower that you bring to the mansion? Oh, um, I think probably the superpower that I bring is around um, big picture thinking, but with an attention to detail. So knowing that the details uh, matter and are what can really elevate people's mana if you take care of the details um, and yet seeing that as part of the big picture. So, um, yeah, it's, it's about being able to hold both, um, care for what's um, small and important but also how it fits into, into the whole. And no mention of an invisible dog. <laughs> we well, we manifested our dog. Our invisible imaginary dog became a puppy. So yeah, and his it's his anniversary tomorrow with us. So um, we as soon as lockdown was over, we went and got our dog. So yeah, that was one of the the true highlights of lockdown as we managed to manifest a dog. Did you make somebody go and walk the dog in the rain? The invisible dog. <laughs> yeah, we walked no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> so do you consider yourself to be an activist? So I think of myself, I am an I am an activist who's grown um, a wider footprint, I think. I, I definitely have activist roots and for the, these days I'm all about uh, generating change um, and not just reacting. Uh, so I feel like my activist roots give me um, the perspectives that I hold dear and and these days I'm a creator or a generator. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, justice. For me it's all about social justice. Yeah, that's always been... Um, that's the bit that has the fire in my belly <laughs> where where um, I see things that aren't fair and that aren't working for people and that are ignoring the voices of those who are important. Um, yeah, so always looking for opportunities to um, elevate the voices of, the of those who have the least power in any situation. And what's the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or two? Hmm. Um, I think it's about finding the right uh, the right balance. Um, so it's about being able to both respond and to also generate. So in my practice and my I suppose calling it my change practice, I want to not only be responding to 
um, opportunities, um, possibilities as they present themselves. But I also want to be generating and creating the um, the change I want to see. So it's about um, having enough capacity to be able to do both. And last while also doing lots of dogs. <laughs> and lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, I think the I think the advice is just that um, you know it's all about valuing those people around you and the relationships that are in your life, and at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. Is if we can. Um, yeah, value relationships and see the importance of connection um, and and understanding that with with, with um, the right framework with our practice informed as a values based practice that's gonna yeah hopefully lead us on the right on the right path you know through connection and um, and shared values. That's some good advice. Thank you very much for joining me. Kia ora. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate the chance to have a conversation. Yeah, me too. We're going out to Sasha Dobson's version of Big Yellow Taxi. They paved paradise, put up a parking lot. With a pink hotel, a boutique, and a shitty hot spot. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? Pave paradise, put up a parking lot. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles. 
positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Wan and Sawyer's Bade in Eden. And in Opaho, Anna Parker. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.